Now, as you already are aware, we have been taking a series of studies in the Lord's Prayer, and uh, as we continue this morning, I would like to invite you to read with me from Matthew and chapter 18, and we begin reading at verse 21. Matthew 18 and verse 21. Uh, we will definitely be talking about uh, the Lord's Prayer once again this morning. But in there, the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples are on the way, and we read from verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could, not pay his uh, he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, we have been going through a series of studies in the Lord's Prayer, in the passage that our brother read, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. And uh, so far, we have made our way in this uh, passage. We have come to that one that specifically deals with our sin. And you recall how uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in teaching his disciples, he actually said in that prayer, for 
give us our debt. Now, there's something unique about this prayer request that the Lord Jesus Christ is instructing, instructing his disciples. It is the only one where there is a reason given. For all the other petitions in the Lord's Prayer, they are just petitions that stand on their own. If you don't look at them, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So when he comes to that portion where he teaches us to ask for forgiveness, there is a reason given. It says, and forgive us our debts or our sins or our transgressions, depending on the version that you're reading, as we forgive our debtors. The, that's the reason why we have taken a little more time on that particular petition because there is a reason given. Uh, it is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, we have said so far that it is by grace that we ourselves are forgiven, that we are sinful from our mother's wombs. And as we come into this world, our lives are characterized by sin. And it is only because God is rich in mercy, God is rich in grace, that he draws us to himself and through the person of Christ, our Savior who died on the cross, he forgives us freely. And because God forgives us freely, he then makes us channels of forgiveness to others. So that as we live in this world in which people will offend us, the only way you will not be offended is not to live in this world. For as long as you live in this world, which is full of sinners just like you, the chances are that you will be offended. That somebody is going to say something, somebody is going to do something that will offend you. Perhaps you even mean to say that will grievously offend you. And uh, uh, that is the reason why I chose for our Bible reading this morning that Old Testament story of Joseph. You remember, Joseph was that young man living with his dad and with his brothers. And the Bible tells us that he was his dad's favorite. And his dad loved him. But unknown to his dad and unknown to his brothers was that God had a very unique plan for Joseph and had begun to reveal that plan to Joseph by giving him some dreams. 
and, and, and Joseph, you know, in the in, innocence of his own childhood or being youth, he was glad to share those dreams that God was giving him with his brothers. Now, obviously, it is not the same today, but in the day in which Joseph, Joseph lived, uh, dreams were such a big thing. And, and if you had a dream, there were all these individuals, you tell the dream, and they'll be able to tell you the meaning. And basically, in the life of Joseph, the meaning was very clear. That Joseph was destined to be a ruler, a ruler before whom his own brothers were going to kneel. And, and, and they sort of resented that idea because his brothers were much older than him, you know, and, and it, they felt, look, this, this is insolence. This is pride. How is this young man uh, beginning to feel that you know, a whole lot of me, Reuben or Simon or Levi or Judah, we're going to degrade ourselves in such a way that we're going to kneel before this little boy. And so they were angry, and they were also angry because they felt that uh, uh, he was his, his, his dad's favorite, and perhaps they weren't receiving as much attention from their dad as they felt they should, and for that reason, they hated Joseph, we are told. So what did they do? They, they, they not only hated him, they hated him enough, they wanted him dead. And, and so all that they lacked was the opportunity. They had the motive, but they didn't have the opportunity until in God's providence, that opportunity presented itself. They were out there in the middle of nowhere, looking after their father's flocks, and you know, Jacob sent uh, Joseph and says, you know, take something for them to eat. They've been away for a while. And there, Joseph, in his innocence, went to see his brothers. And uh, they were able to see him coming from afar. You know, and they said, yeah, here is this dreamer who comes. Now we have the opportunity. And they intended to kill him until one of them took them out of it and they felt maybe the best thing to do was to sell him to, as a slave to these people who were on their way to Egypt. So that's exactly what they did. And Joseph was sold into slavery and he worked into Potiphar's home and after a stint in Potiphar's home, he found himself in jail on trumped-up trumped up charges from Potiphar's wife, and he spent a number of years in jail, all because of his brother's jealousy against him. And in Genesis chapter 45, we find that, in fact, all those dreams that Joseph used to have as a little boy were in fact true and God fulfilled each one of them to the letter. Joseph was a mighty and famous ruler in Egypt and his brothers unknowingly came and knelt before him. 
and they were all afraid of him. The Bible says he spoke harshly to them because he recognized them, but they did not. And the very thing that they had said they could never do, there they were, kneeling before Joseph. But the thing about the Joseph story is how kind-hearted, how gracious he was, and how willing he was to forgive his brothers. And the fact that he was able to look back upon his story and put a biblical spin on that story. And he was able to explain it in terms of God's gracious plan, not just for Joseph, but for them and for Jacob, his father, that this is something God did pursuant to the promise he had in fact made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. This is what God was doing. And when they performed that wicked act against Joseph, he tells them right there, it was in fact God who sent me here. It wasn't you. It was God. Now, there's no doubt what they did was sinful. What they did was wicked. What they did was evil. What they did should not have been done. That's one way of looking at it. But there's a better way of looking at it. The biblical way of looking at it. That the God who is in control the God who rules this universe, that he is so wise and so powerful that he can even use the sinful and wicked actions of wicked men to accomplish his purpose and to bring to pass what he has in fact intended all, from all of eternity. What's interesting in the story of Joseph is that if you think about it, his brothers were determined to kill the plans of Joseph, the dreams of Joseph. And what's amazing is that by trying to kill and to destroy the dreams of Joseph, they were in fact doing what? Fulfilling them. They were helping him to do what they did not want him to do. So God is sovereign. God is absolutely independent. And he can use the sinful and wicked actions of evil people to accomplish his plan. So Joseph being the man who he was, a man of God, a man who feared the Lord, that this was the spin he was able to put on this story. This is the interpretation that he put on it. Yes, what you did was wrong, but it was in fact God's plan to send me ahead of you so that in a time and a crisis such as this one that has affected the entire world, your lives might be 
spared. And therefore, what that teaches us is that this is probably one of the biggest problems we find when we encounter people who offend us. That all we see are sinful and wicked human beings offending us. We, we rarely take a step back and say, what's going on? Is God working something beautiful behind this frowning providence? And if we should be thinking like that, we might find it a lot easier to forgive sinful men when they sin against us. Because it is required of us that if we have been the recipients of God's grace, that we will be the channels of God's grace to other sinners. That we will be willing to forgive those who have sinned against us. Now, as I've already hinted at it, if you find it difficult to forgive people when they sin against you, uh, without a doubt, you're going to have a very hard time on earth. Because people like you ought to live in a world where there is no sin. That is the only place where you can exist and be happy. But the world that is, is much too radical for that. That this is the world in which not only will people step on your toes, that is much too light. They will do evil against you. Real evil. Painful evil. And evil that will leave you reeling for the rest of your life on earth. And unless you can tend to God and seek his grace with all your heart, you cannot live in this world as it is. You need desperately the grace of God to live in this world. You need God's favor to be upon you for you to survive, to make it in this world because it is only a matter of time you will find a lot of people that will offend you. And the story of Joseph teaches us that even though he lived in Old Testament times, yet such was the grace of God in his life that he was willing to forgive. I mean, I, I don't know what to think of it. I mean, if your own brother sold you, I think of it. It's not a stranger. Probably it's forgivable that somebody who doesn't know you, somebody you've never seen before, and they commit such an atrocity against you, they sell you. It's understandable. But one who you grew up with, your very own brother, he is the one who does this to you. You 
can imagine how painful it must be. How difficult it must be. Mm. How unbearable it is your very own brother. But that's what we need grace for. The grace of God comes to our hearts. The grace of God makes it possible. The grace of God makes your heart tender. The grace of God allows you to see that you yourself, if you have received mercy from God, if you have received grace from God, if you have been forgiven, the grace of God gives you a glimpse. What a criminal you have been before God. And if God in grace has reached down to you to rescue you from your sin, to forgive you, to give you a brand new start in Jesus Christ our Savior. Why would you not forgive? Why would you find it difficult to forgive others? Now again, I must admit that forgiveness that will not come to you naturally. It comes by grace. And that is what you need to be seeking every day in your life. Lord, more grace in my life. More grace. That is why you need to be singing that song. Perhaps with a new meaning. Amazing grace. God, help me to be amazed as I look at what your grace has done in my own life. And if you're truly amazed... And you can sing amazing grace. That story of the amazing grace of God is true in your life. Then you will be enabled to forgive others. Joseph, by the grace of God, was willing to forgive his brothers. And he was willing to look at their sin in the light of God's word. To interpret that painful history. This was God working. Even though you are sinners. And you had malice aforethought in your minds. When you sold me to the Egyptians. In all of that. God overruled all of that. And he preserved me. And he preserved me in order to keep you alive, that you don't die from famine. And Joseph was willing and able to forgive. That's the way you need to look at your life. Look at your life in the light of what God is doing. What God is doing. You remember there's another story that I like in the Old Testament. The story of David. David had been overthrown by his own son Absalom. And he was on his way out of Jerusalem. Running from his own son. 
and somehow by the mysterious arrangement of God, he meets a relative of Saul. And you know, that relative of Saul says, good, finally God has caught up with you. You must be a wicked man. And began to insult David. I remember one of those bodyguards, those big men with muscles, they say to David, look, there's no reason why this fellow should be insulting the king. You know, just give the order. He is history. We can deal with him. And then remember David's answer. Very, very gracious. He said, look, how do you know? Maybe God has told him, go and insult David. How do you know that? My own son is after my life. This guy is a stranger. And he's, all he's saying is words. No, leave him alone. It may be that God sent him to go and come and insult David. God is testing me. Leave him alone. That's how David left that man alone. You can see that even there, David, once again, is putting this biblical spin on the matter. He's not taking it personally. He knows that there is nothing that can happen in this world. Nothing can happen to me unless God permits it. So God has sent this man. Go and insult David. I'm not going to respond and, and defend myself. I will leave it in God's hand. He will sort him out whenever he pleases. And he leaves that man. Perhaps our problem ourselves is that we, 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 we feel ourselves too important than we ought to be. That we will not allow anyone to say a negative word against us. No. We won't. We think ourselves too highly than we ought to think. And we do not value the salvation that we find in Jesus Christ, which is by grace through faith. We do not value more as we ought to. And that is why we struggle to forgive. But this word is given to us, not that we might lose hope. This word is given to us to show us how desperately we need God's grace. Whenever it is that we struggle to forgive others, we must plead with God for mercy, that he would work in our hearts a forgiving heart, a tender heart. That's what the New Testament says with a tender, forgiving heart. Not a hard heart. A heart that keeps the record of every wrong. So that when someone sins against you and they ask for forgiveness, the first thing you're going to say, even yesterday, that's what you did. 
God's grace comes to rescue us from our sins, but God's grace also comes to teach us to be gracious, to be like God. See, if you are children of God, the nature of God is within you. The Holy Spirit is within you. And if God's spirit is in you, you must act just like God. And God is a gracious and a forgiving God. And if you are a true disciple, if you are a child of the living God, then you bear the nature of your father. If it can be said of you that it is impossible for you to forgive, then it is true to say of you, you do not know the meaning of grace. It is a complete and comprehensive denial of the Christian faith. If it can be proved that it is impossible for you to forgive others, yeah, you do not know the grace of God. In other words, you are not a child of God. You are not Christian. In fact, you are of your father, the devil. And you will do his will. And his will is unforgiveness, whatever the cost. Now, once again, I need to make mention that we must never underrate the hurt that people feel when they have been offended. Uh, and I think that some of the people who are most offended are, are those who perhaps have gone through a divorce, for instance. Uh, people who have gone through things like that, they, they tend to have extremely uh, hold a grudge against the person who offended them. In fact, if you were to ask them, they probably would be honest with you that they think everybody else is going to heaven except their former spouse. That, that's how strongly some people feel about uh, the hurt that they suffered at the hand of their former spouse. Once again, I want to say, I mean, and I do not want to minimize the pain, but I do want to encourage you and to say to you that God's grace abounds. God's grace will be sufficient even for such a situation. And God will be pleased in his grace to help you from the heart to forgive 
the person who offended you. Whatever they did to offend you. And you always need to put everything in perspective. Yes, they, what they did was wrong. But don't forget that we ourselves have grievously offended God. Perhaps because we are sinners, it does not appear to us how sinful sin really is. How offensive it is to God. And how long God has borne with you and with me as we pursued a course of sin. As we lived as if God does not exist. And we lived as if we ourselves are God. And God does not really count. Sin is very, very offensive to God. That is why the Lord Jesus Christ had to go to the cross and die. Because there was no other way even for God to be able to forgive anyone in sin willy-nilly. It had to take the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for God to justly forgive sin. That is why you find the Son of God in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is pleading with the Father. And he's basically saying, look, is there no other way in which we can do this? Is there no other way in which we can rescue sinners and still remain just and still remain loving without me having to go through suffering and the cross. And the Bible says there was no answer because there was no other way in which our sin would be dealt with until the Son of God must go to Calvary. There is that hymn. There is a green hill far away. And it captures that thought very well. There is no other way for God to be God, for God to be just, for God to be righteous and loving and not take Jesus to the cross in order to deal with the question of yours and my sin. Jesus paid the ultimate price. His own blood. He went to the cross and there he drank the full cup of the wrath of God. 
if you've been with us in Sunday school, we've been dealing with Romans 8. And you know what Romans 8 says there? He did not spare his own son. He didn't say, well, you know, he must suffer, but this is my son. I think I'll, I'll just get rid of some of the, the worst parts of the cross so he can go there. Yes. No, 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 no. He says, he did not spare, even though it was his own son, he did not spare him. He poured on him the full weight of the wrath of God against sin. That wrath, burning hot against sin, was poured on Jesus. And Jesus cried out, ultimately, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there's no other way. There's no other way in heaven or on earth in which God can forgive sinners except through the cross. And right in the midst of that cross, right in that suffering, Jesus turned his eyes to the Father. Forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. And God in his heavenly chemistry took that unjust death that Jesus suffered on the cross. And he used it to forgive millions, yeah, billions of sinners and bring them back to God. Because without the shedding of blood, the Bible tells us, there is no forgiveness of sin. So once again, you see that heavenly spin, that biblical spin on sin and on injury that you might suffer in this world. Look to God. Ask him for the interpretation. And he will make it plain. Perhaps not immediately. In days to come. Somebody might really offend you. Really, really offend you. Defer to the wrath of God. And say, it is God who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. It is your duty, by God's grace, to forgive those who offend you. Like Joseph in the Old Testament. Like Stephen in the New Testament. Indeed, like Jesus, our crucified and risen Savior. God, by his grace, grant you to have such a heart within you to forgive others that you might be able to rightly pray the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer. Lord, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Let us pray.